0: from the capital of the commonwealth this is the sports huddle with bob black on 1061 espn we're also streaming live at espnrichmond.com and on the iHeartRadio app call in and talk with bob anytime at 3270888 now here's bob black with the sports huddle on 1061
1: espn and away we go into the weekend it is the weekend isn't it it's after five o'clock already so the weekend is upon us it's happy hour it's college football we got a game coming up in just a couple of hours with the virginia cavaliers against maryland you got high school football out there tonight beautiful evening then you got all the college football tomorrow and the nfl on sunday should be a great weekend and we're glad we're ushering it in with you bob black with you here robert only producing in our espn richmond studios on this friday afternoon 804-327-0888 327-0888 calls you in and also allows you to text either way look i keep continuing to shock and surprise myself because i love what deon sanders is doing i love what coach prime is doing out there at colorado and I had a long conversation with uh, somebody the other day about, you know, kind of a little bit ahead of his time that he is with what he is doing and how he is using the transfer portal and the NIL and all of that. Uh, they've got college game day there this weekend for the matchup with Colorado State. And then the sunglass hat controversy takes center stage. Um uh, Don't poke the bear. We said it yesterday. I'm going to say it again. I'm not really sure where where Jay Norvell thought he was coming from, Uh, maybe from the heart, maybe from just being honest, but he knew what was going to happen here. He admitted he knew what was going to happen here because he had told the ESPN commentators, and then he went on his own radio show, his own talk show, and told it. And said, Hey, I take my hat off, I take my glasses off when I talk to grown ups, when I come into the room, that's what my mother taught me. They're not gonna like us no matter what we say or do, it doesn't matter, so let's go up there and play. Well, he would have had a much better chance, not that he was gonna have any chance at all, because Colorado's a prohibitive favorite in this game. If mean, he had just kind of kept his mouth shut on that one. Uh, but that did kind of poke the bear and stoke the fire. And you knew prime time was going to take full marketing advantage of that. So when Sanders was on with um, First Take and the Pat McAfee show, he brought him sunglasses. Of course he did. He's got his own line of sunglasses now, Prime 21 sunglasses from Blenders. And then at his team meeting with his team on Thursday, he had his equipment staff parade in with boxes of prime 21 sunglasses and passed them out to everybody on the team. So you know he's got their attention. They have full focus on this game this weekend. If you thought they were sleepwalking a little bit, if they were peeking ahead to USC, if they were peeking ahead to Oregon, that's not happening now um and look primetime said it best he was like hey i didn't i didn't like that this happened we were starting out on the right foot the two of us he was complimenting me i was complimenting him and then as primetime said it just took a quick left what happened who got to him after what he said it threw me off and i started i really started to contemplate what happened why would you go into that direction boy i would echo that comment i already made the same question And you know Dion, You know he's going to get ready, and he's going to talk about it. He's going to market it. He's going to hype it up, and that's exactly what's happening. Don't you think ESPN is just foaming at the mouth here, just absolutely salivating for College Game Day to be at Colorado for a late-night game, too. It's a 10 o'clock game uh, out there in in Colorado. Uh, They're loving this. Their numbers have been really good the first couple of weeks already, and they're going to be even better now. Like, you've got absolute reason to stay up and watch the game or get up early and watch game day from out there. And as Sean and I were talking yesterday, I kind of wonder what the pregame informal uh, meeting will be like between the two of them. Those of you that go to college football games early enough um, – or, or telecasts that actually show a, a snippet of it. When the teams are first coming out there to warm up, like 45 minutes to an hour before the game, the coaches are just kind of casually out there. And they hang around at midfield, and they have small talk. And you know they're not listening to what the other guy is saying, and you know their eyes are on the other guy's team. They're looking to see who's not dressed, who is dressed, you know, that kind of thing. But they're chatting. They're having a friendly conversation. What is this going to be like? tomorrow are they really even going to cross paths at midfield while their teams are warming up um you know dion if he was the type who wanted to could probably diffuse the situation one of two ways he could take his hat and glasses off when the two of them shake hands and embrace or whatever at midfield or he could have saved a pair of those sunglasses that he gave to all his players and hand a pair of them to Coach Norvell of Colorado State. I'm not sure he's going to do either. And then, of course, all the cameras will be on him post game, following a game in which you think Colorado should win handily if it'll be much more than just a handshake and a, hey, good luck the rest of the year, and away they go. I, I think that will happen post game. I don't think there'll be really any more to it than that, but all eyes are certainly going to be on that. And I'm loving it. I I actually am loving it from primetime. And I've told the story over and over again how we did cross paths when he was a minor league baseball player and played for the Richmond Braves. And I was broadcasting the Braves games. And I loved Dion. And he was great in the clubhouse. And he was great with people that worked for the team like myself. Um, So I don't have a bad word to say about him. Um, His style, his hype, his bling – a little over the top for this older guy, but I'm actually kind of enjoying it from a distance, and I'm enjoying watching him do this and what he has done with this Colorado team. I was having this conversation the other day with all the transfers that he brought in. The question was raised, is he just going to keep doing this year after year? And my answer was no to a degree because he cleaned house from a terrible football program and guys he had no connection with. I think there are like 10 guys left from the previous regime 10 to 15 guys but after this year now that he's got his guys in there he's going to have to replace the one and done guys the transfers that are only in there for a season so he will still have to stay in the transfer portal but not to the degree that he had to do it this year but he did it the right i mean he did it the right way he used the rule And he used it to the best of his ability, and he's reaping the rewards for it. And I got nothing against him. And like I said, uh, I was fortunate enough to cross paths with him when he was a Richmond Brave for a short period of time. I tell this all the time. And I just got a text from one of his uh, former teammates in Richmond who said he was awesome. With us in Richmond, and I, I certainly echo that, and I say this, I tell it all the time. One of the part-time things I did while I was a broadcaster was help our trainer with uh, being the traveling secretary, handing out, you know, plane tickets and getting them into hotel rooms and all of that kind. Of, and And Dion uh, was great with that. Uh, He had the things he wanted. He asked for them politely. The things he could get, he took. The ones, maybe it didn't happen. He understood he was in the minor leagues. And he always called me Mr. Black. He will never remember me. He probably doesn't even remember that he played in Richmond at this point. And would never remember me. But conversely, I will always remember that. And I like the guy. I hope he continues to have great success. And obviously, if he has great success at Colorado, probably won't be at Colorado for all that long. But Go primetime. I'll I'll be watching late Saturday night to see what happens and probably early Saturday morning when college game day comes on from there. All right, uh, just about 10 after 5 on the sports title. And I guess uh, ESPN did not get to the story that I mentioned just before the break, and that was the Juwan Howard story and the uh, surgery that he had to repair that aortic uh, artery. And he will be out, uh, I think they said 10 to 12 weeks. Phil Martelli will be their head coach It's a pretty good coach in waiting to have, right? The guy who had, you know, St. Joe's number one in the country and Jameer Nelson and Delonte West and, and all those guys at St. Joe's. And, of course, he's already filled in once. For Jawan Howard, when Howard got into that fracas at the end of the Wisconsin game and got suspended for five games, and Martelli took over then as well. So he'll have an opportunity to run that team uh, probably the first month and a half or so of the, of the college basketball season. So ESPN didn't have that one yet, top of the hour. We gave it to you before 5 o'clock and uh, just thought I'd mention it in there one more time because it does hit close to home with what uh, Coach Chris Mooney went through at Richmond. Last year, and if he's he's back 100%. So we certainly hope and expect that joan Howard will be back 100% as well. All right, let's tell you where we're headed in the final hour of the week on the Sports Hub.
0: These are this afternoon's top sports stories.
1: I'm sure he'll be fascinated by all the uh, stories you have to
0: tell. This is today's drive home headlines.
1: Which are brought to you by James River Air. If you're not confident in your heating and cooling provider, switch to James River Air. You'll be able to save up to 30%. Check them out online at jamesriverair.com. Um, Al Galdi going to join us here in just a few minutes. Uh, we're going to talk some Commanders football with Al. He's got his daily podcast plus his Nats chat podcast. And eh, not really sure the Nats are very relevant need to be in the conversation. Uh, with just a couple of weeks to go. In the season, so we'll zero in on the Commanders. What he thought of the Week One win and their chances in Week Two against Russell Wilson and Sean Payton and the Denver Broncos out there on the road. And we'll talk a little bit more college football for the games coming up this weekend, and obviously the one tonight, Maryland and Virginia up there in College Park. Virginia Tech plays at Rutgers uh, tomorrow, so those are the uh, the games for those teams. Liberty is at home tomorrow uh, on the road tomorrow. I beg your pardon. They've got Buffalo, so. Probably should get a win there. Richmond is at home against Delaware State. William & Mary looks to stay unbeaten. Tribe on the road, non-conference game at Charleston Southern. We talked earlier about James Madison, the Dukes at Troy, in an early season uh, Sunbelt Showdown game there. Um, Just looking to see where Randolph-Macon is, as good as they've been. They're at Southern Virginia for a 1 o'clock game tomorrow. Hamden-Sydney's on the road at Greensboro. VMI at NC State. Uh, the uh, key debts will get a paycheck for that game, and they will they will move on in that one. All right, let's 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 move on as well. Let's stay on time here, get the break in. Al Galdi joins us next. We'll talk some Washington Commanders football. He's coming up after the timeout on the sports Auto.
0: The Braves have officially clinched a sixth straight NL East crown. Up next, the postseason. And we will have it here on your home for the Atlanta Braves. 1061 ESPN Richmond.
1: After 5 or so on a Friday afternoon, getting you into the weekend. We got good high school games tonight, college games tomorrow. And, of course, the NFL continues on Sunday. The Commanders play their first road game. They head to Denver to take on the Broncos. Let's talk about all of that with Al Galdi, who joins us this afternoon, the Al Galdi podcast. Uh, we've chatted with him all summer long, of course, on the Nats Chat podcast. We'll probably kind of put the Nats on the back burner here, and we'll talk some Commanders football with Al this afternoon. Al, how you doing?
2: Hey, good. How are you?
1: Doing fine, thanks. Uh, so this is a matchup this week of one team that won ugly on Sunday And one team that lost Ugly on Sunday, and it's much better to be the team that won Ugly, which was the Commanders. I said this a few times this week, Al. They had to win that game no matter what it looked like. The whole cleansing of the soul, new era in D.C. They can fix everything that ailed them in the next 16 weeks. They had to win that game Sunday. Do you buy into that?
2: Absolutely. Uh, I thought way too much was made of the how as opposed to the what. The what was what mattered. That the win was obtained was always what mattered. I, I think anyone who's followed the NFL for you know any period of time really understands that week one results often don't mean much and often aren't uh, indicative of what's to come. So it's just a matter of getting wins. And then you can worry about, like, what exactly is the team? You know, is it as good as we want it to be? What are the strengths? What are the weaknesses? Like, it's certainly okay to have those opinions now. But I think early season NFL, in terms of the regular season, is really just about getting wins. And then come, like, October, November, December, that's when you really can start to assess, like, what you have in your team. But especially now with teams not playing players a lot in preseasons, I think these early weeks, in a lot of ways, are teams kind of finding themselves, what works, what doesn't work, what doesn't work, that kind of a thing. And specific to the commanders on offense, I mean, you have a lot of new parts, right? A new offensive coordinator, new starting quarterback or revamped offensive line. So, you know, that they didn't score 40 points against a team that figures to be bad, I think is okay. And, yes, getting the win was what mattered. You got that. And uh, now hopefully we get to 2-0 and for the first time since uh, 2011.
1: Well, then what did you like about what you saw? Sunday?
2: Well, obviously the defense. The defense Mm -hmm. was tremendous and, you know, I know there's sort of an obvious uh, response of, well, the Cardinals aren't very good. They're not. They probably will end up being one of the worst teams in the league, but it wasn't just that the defense played well. It's that the defense played exceptionally well. I mean, the defense was dominant in that game. Some of the stats were really uh, jaw-dropping. I mean, 11 tackles for loss for an NFL team in a regular season game, you don't see that often. And yet the commanders had that last Sunday. So, you certainly start with the defense. Sam Howell was mixed. I think everyone gets that by now. I did think, though, that we saw enough good to say, okay, like, there is something here and if this ends up being the worst game that he has this season, then I think we could all live with that. So, there absolutely are things to clean up. I think the 6 sacks. First of all, I think the six-sack thing is a little overrated because the first three sacks combined to lose one yard. Those are basically scrambles that resulted in zero yardage gained or negative yardage gained, so they went down as sacks. But the, the sacks were more on him than they were on the offensive line. It's interesting, the advanced numbers that have come out about the offensive line's performance actually have made it look a lot better uh, than I think initially thought. So I think that's actually semi-encouraging. The line was not the mess that I think a lot of people thought that it was. And, and I also would say this. You win a game in which you commit three turnovers, three turnovers in one quarter, in fact. You know, I I think it's like, okay, you're not going to do that every week, right? Like, moving forward, are the commanders every week going to commit three turnovers and allow six sacks? Like, probably not. So that you could win a game like that, I think says, all right, they're not going to do those things every week. So in theory, uh, this should be a team that uh, is able to put up some wins early in the season. And I do think that that's a big deal. I mean, I think we've all become tired of these slow starts for Washington teams, especially under Ron Rivera. I think it matters a lot that this team gets off to a good start this season, and obviously 1-0 is a part of getting off to a good start.
1: What do you think this defense is primed to do against Russell Wilson and Denver? And it is a commander's defense that we officially learned today will include Chase Young.
2: Yeah, I think it's in store for another good game. Um, Russell Wilson, we know, is not what he was. He had an atrocious 2022 season now. I don't think that he's definitely like uh, just completely incapable now. Like, I think he is still capable. It's not like he was awful in that Broncos loss to the Raiders. But if you look at his yards per pass attempt for that game, it was like 5.2. I mean, that's like a microscopic yards per pass attempt in today's NFL. So he's not what he was. And I think that he is someone who, while he still may be capable of doing well, he also at this point in his career is capable of being dominated. And I think the Commanders have a shot to do that. Now, we'll see. You don't want to assume anything. But I feel really good about this defense. I don't know how you don't. Um, This defense, going back to last season, played really well. There are a lot of good players on this defense. This defense is not overly reliant on one player or even one unit. Obviously, the defensive line leads the way. But you have a secondary that I think is in really good shape. And I think you are facing a Broncos offense that, like the Commanders offense, is still trying to figure out some things with Sean Payton now running things. But also, Broncos offense that even if it's playing at its best, I don't think is great. Like I, I, I don't think the skill position players on the Broncos are great. You know, Wilson is where he is at this point in his career. He may be a shell of what he was. At the very least, he isn't what he was. Uh, the offensive line, the Broncos spent some good money in free agency to upgrade it. So you know that's to be determined whether the offensive line uh, for the Broncos is going to be good enough uh, for the team to do well this season. And the Broncos are missing a key pass-catching tight end, and Greg Dulcich. He's expected to miss multiple weeks due to a hamstring injury. Now Denver is getting Jerry Judy. He did not play in week one due to a hamstring. He's set to play on Sunday, so that'll help what the Broncos can do. But. I would be surprised if the Commanders' defense did not play well. Uh, this defense, I think, is in a very good place. And what we saw last Sunday, again, it's not just that you beat up on a bad team. It's that you really smashed a bad team, defensively speaking. Uh, that, that was one of the better all-around defensive performances by a Washington team that we've seen over the last, say, five, ten years.
1: All right. As you mentioned, starting 2-0 and would be a big deal for the Washington Commanders in general and, and their fans how big a deal is that to Ron Rivera at this point in his tenure? <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, I think it's massive, man. I think it's massive. I mean, you know, I mentioned the traditional slow starts for Washington under Ron Rivera. He obviously has survived those slow starts in each of his first three seasons as Washington head coach. I don't know that he would survive a slow start this season. Um, I think that a bad start could end up with him getting fired in season. Like I do think, that that's a possibility. You know, one of the things that still stands out to me is Ron Rivera in late July saying that he had a lot to prove to Josh Harris and also saying that this season was, in a lot of ways, an audition for Josh Harris. I mean, Ron has kind of said without saying that he's coaching for his job, and I think we all have thought that, but for him to actually say that, you know, that, that stood out to me. And the other thing, too, is when Josh Harris has talked about Ron Rivera, he certainly has supported Ron But Josh has chosen his words carefully. You know, Josh has not endorsed Ron. Josh has not said that, you know, Ron is is a part of the piece moving forward. Josh has continually called this a big season, which to me is code for, you better win this season or else. So, you know, I don't know that, like, uh, a one-and-two start would get Ron fired. But if you're looking at one and four, you know, two and five, I think that could happen. There have not been many in season Head coaching firings for Washington. If you look at the franchise's history, you had Jay Gruden in 2019. You had North Turner in 2000. Otherwise, just about every head coaching change has happened uh, in an off season. I do think it's possible Ron uh, would get fired this season if the team gets off to slow start. But I hope by like heck that that does not happen. And you know, two and o would buy Ron some, would give Ron some cushion because after this, you have the Bills at home and then you're at the Eagles. Two in theory difficult games. But if you get this game against the Broncos, even if you lose those two games, the fifth game is a Thursday nighter against Chicago. 3 and 2 would seem to be doable, especially mm-hmm. if you win this Sunday and 3 and 2 would put you, you know, in a pretty decent spot, especially considering where this team has been at 5 games into each of the previous three regular seasons.
1: Uh, Yeah, 2-0 would be huge for him and the fan base, certainly. 425 on Sunday afternoon, uh, Washington at Denver. Let me expand the horizon just a little bit. In the category of overthinking and overreacting to the start of the season, what have you made of the other teams in the NFC East? It would be hard not to overreact to what Dallas did to the Giants. And then the Eagles, as I called it earlier, they are an imperfect 2-0 to start the season.
2: (laughs) They are. Uh, It's hard not to think that the Eagles are the favorite to win the NFC. East. I mean, with Dallas, it's almost become comical because more or less every regular season now, the Cowboys do well. And then it's in the playoffs where the Cowboys falter. And so, like, you know, the Cowboys could look great this regular season, but their season in so many ways is determined by what happens in mid to late January. But, yeah, I mean, that was stunning what happened last Sunday night I do expect the Giants to take a step back this season. I think there was some good fortune and good luck that aided the Giants having the season that they had last year. But, I mean, I did not expect what we saw last Sunday night. That that was pretty, uh, that was pretty impressive what the Cowboys did in that game. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think the division certainly is led by the Eagles and the Cowboys. Uh, I don't want to say that the Commanders are playing for second or third place, because if we've learned anything about the NFC East over the last 25 years, it's that you expect the unexpected, that this division has not had a repeat winner in terms of the same team winning it in back-to-back seasons in forever, I think it says a lot. So, you know, you look at things now, could be very different from how we look at things in November and December. But no question. I mean, this does not seem to be a soft division. You know, what we had in 2020 when Washington won the NFC East 7-9. doesn't look like we're going to have anything like that this season, at least, you know, given what we know right now. And, you know, I do think that what we had last year, when you had three playoff teams, three really good teams, you know, you could have something like that this season. Like, I know that this could be a second consecutive season in which the division is difficult. And so that does make it, I think, all the more important for the commanders to try to win – these non-NFC East games that are winnable. Clearly the Cardinals game was a winnable game. I do think this game at the Broncos is a winnable game. It is a road game, yes. But, you know, the Broncos in recent years have not been what they have been in the past. Uh, I, you know, I do look at Denver, though, in this way. The Broncos would be, if they lose this game, would be 0-2 with each loss at home. So I, I think there's going to be a desperation from Denver to win this game. And a lot of times in sports we know the more desperate team is the team that ends up winning. So, you know, I would keep that in mind. Like, I think you can have a Broncos team that is prepared for this game and, uh, you know, very much does not want to fall to 0-2 with two home losses. So I think that's something to keep in mind, too.
1: For sure. Finishing up with Al Galdi. Hey, you got football up your way tonight. You got a college game at at, uh, at College Park, Maryland at 2-0, and, oh, and Virginia at 0-2. Oh I think the line is like 15 or 15 and a half yeah. uh, what, what do you make of this this Maryland team? We've dissected Virginia pretty much every which way you can. It doesn't look great for the Cavaliers. What do you make of this Maryland team, Al?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think Maryland is set up to have its best season in a long time. Now, there have been uh, multiple seasons in recent years that we've said the same thing about Maryland and things haven't necessarily gone that way. The Terrapins have had a penchant for getting off the good start of the season and then really having a hard time against the big boys of the Big Ten. So I think in a lot of ways we'll truly be able to gauge where Mike Loxley has this program when Maryland faces some of the bigger competition in the Big Ten. But Talia Tungabailoa already is one of the more prolific quarterbacks in the history of the program that he's back for this season uh, is something that I think every Maryland fan, and I went to Maryland, is so happy yep. about. And he has a chance to put up uh, really monster numbers this year. But you know, it's you can't assume anything. I mean, Maryland last week against Charlotte was down fourteen nothing at the end of the first quarter, ended up winning thirty-eight twenty. But the Terps got off to a really bad start in that game, so you know you got to be careful with this stuff. I mean, we had last night Navy as a two touchdown mm-hmm. underdog at uh, Memphis, and Navy yep. nearly pulled off the upset. Mm-hmm. So. You know, as a Turps fan, I don't assume anything with Virginia. I know the Cavaliers have fallen on hard times, but, you know, this is like that classic spot where when you think you know, you don't know. So, you know, Maryland, I think, is, is a pretty good team. Certainly should beat Virginia. But Maryland is not good enough to just sort of coast by any, anybody. And, and I, I think the Turps got a, a scare with what happened against Charlotte last Saturday night. And uh, I do expect uh, a, a better start, and I do expect – a focused Maryland team coming out because Mike Loxley and his post-game presser after that win, uh, you know, I, I don't want to say like he was not happy about the win, but he was pretty adamant of, you can't start a game like that. And, and you can't. And, and, you know, against a lot of other teams, a 14 nothing deficit at the end of the first quarter really would have harmed you in terms of the
1: final result. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly caught their attention on that one. All right, right, I'll Al, enjoy all the football this weekend. We always enjoy catching up with you. and look forward to doing it again before too long. Thank you, my friend.
2: I appreciate it. Have a great weekend.
1: There goes Al Galdi, the Al Galdi podcast. You can catch that wherever you catch your podcast. And they still got the Nats chat podcast going uh, until the end of the baseball season. Didn't even bring up any Nats other than they played a sub-two-hour game last night. That was probably the best news of all for the Nats. They lost to the uh, Pirates. Josiah Gray pitched pretty well. uh, But they were done in uh, less than two hours. Pretty nifty time for that game last night. This is when you do like the sped-up games and the pitch clock and all that. When you get into these pretty meaningless games, at least as far as record and standings is concerned in Major League Baseball. Um, Alright, again, Virginia-Maryland tonight, that's a 7 o'clock game, it's on FS1 if you want to check it out. Alright, about a half hour for us to go, we'll take a timeout, come back on the other side. Sports Auto continues, 1061 ESPN.
0: Looking for the Richmond Spiders? Well, you've got them. 1061 ESPN is your exclusive radio home for all things Spiders athletics in the River City, all year long.
1: About 25 minutes to go before we get here to the top of the hour. A little minor league baseball talk for you here. Uh, The Squirrels, congrats to them. Uh, Great for Parney, kind of going out on top, if you will. Not totally going out, we know that, but, you know, fading back a little bit. And the Squirrels have had a great second half of their season, and they've clinched a playoff spot. They'll host Game 1 of the Division Series Tuesday at the Diamond. Uh, Tickets for the playoff games are on sale. You can get them by calling in. You can get them uh, online. The game on Tuesday night is a 635 game. So they're back-to-back playoffs, right? They went to the playoffs last year, and uh, they would host game two if they win the division series of the Eastern League championship game. That's later in September on Tuesday and Wednesday, the 26th and 27th. At the diamond. So, congrats to the Flying Squirrels, and uh, getting back to the postseason again this year. We got more baseball in September at the diamond. Love that. Uh, during the break, uh, Robert told me that we had a guy call said he didn't want to come on the air, but he was listening to me regale the tales of Deion Sanders as a Richmond Brave, and he seemed to remember an incident that Dion had when he came to Richmond as a visiting. Player, He was in the New York Yankees system, and he was in AAA. The Yankees' AAA team at the time was in Columbus, Ohio, was the Columbus Clippers, and it was a big deal. Again, here came primetime, football player, baseball player, you know, all the hype, all of that back in the day, and he came here with the Clippers, and the caller asked Robert to ask me, he didn't want to come on the air, which is which is fine, uh, if I remember an incident that Dion had, with the Clippers and with the fans here in Richmond, and I was talking so glowingly of him when he was a Richmond Brave, but that is actually the case. Uh, and I, the the Columbus timeline came before the Richmond timeline, and before he's with Atlanta. Um, and there was an incident, and I feel and I do remember it, and I think it had something to do with his girlfriend at the time, who was there. And I think she got into some shouting match or something. And again, I don't want to turn this into a soap opera or he said, she said, and this was a lot of years ago. Uh, so I'm trying to remember it, but I think our caller was on to something. I do think there was an incident. I think it involved um, his girlfriend at the time. It was in the stands and, you know, probably some back and forth with some fans and Dion came into the stands to get her out. Of, I, I'm pretty sure that's the way that it went. And I, 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 you know, I know he's had. Uh, I did look it up. He's had a couple of wives. I think the first wife may have been that girl. The name just looks somewhat familiar. Uh, I'm certainly not going to stand by it. Carolyn Chambers um, was his first wife. They had two kids, and now his second wife, uh, Pilar Bigger Sanders. I'm pretty sure that wasn't who it was. I, I would have recognized uh, that name. Uh, they've had three children, including Shador, the quarterback now at now at Colorado. So I think whether it was or it wasn't is inconsequential. But yes, to the caller, you're you're accurate. Your memory is good. There was that incident, but as I've said, and as um, you know, I had a text from one of the, his former teammates. Uh, with I'm not sure why I'm not giving his name. A lot of you could probably figure it out, but I'm just kind of protecting his identity, I guess. As we both. Um, said he was great with the Richmond Braves. He was great with the fans here. He was great uh, eventually with the media here. He answered all the questions, and he was really good with his teammates in the locker room, in the clubhouse, and he was good with the support staff. I can 100% attest to that, Uh, which is probably why I'm enjoying watching him years and years later. As I said, he won't even remember his time in Richmond, let alone little old Bob Black. I can tell you that. Uh, But I certainly remember and appreciated the way he you know, he treated me and us and all of that. So I'm 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 all in on Colorado and, and Deion Sanders. I love it. All right. Uh five thirty nine on the sports huddle. Let me give you just a couple of thoughts on Richmond's game tomorrow. We promote it all the time. You hear the promos, and, and Matt does, you know, the the interview with the player on Wednesday, and Al has Russ Usman on. And I tend to stay away from it for the most part, not entirely. I just think we all give you enough Richmond content, uh, and I speak about it enough, obviously, doing the games and doing Coach Usman's radio show and, and all of that. But we got a little bit of time uh, here before we finish it up. I said this earlier uh, in the week um, Richmond needs a dominant victory tomorrow I know if Russ Huseman were listening right now which he's not he'd be yelling and screaming at me no we don't need a dominant victory we just need a victory well I think the Spiders actually need a dominant victory I need they st- they, they need to start to put it all together against a lesser opponent that is also zero and two I get that but they come from a lesser conference uh, they've lost to a division two team uh Bowie State, which is a good Division II team, but it's a Division II team in the CIAA. And they got trounced by Army 57 to nothing. So they're hungry. They're they're out, you know, they're smelling blood too. They want to get their first win. I get all that, but this is at home for Richmond. Last tune up before conference play begins. Got to figure some things out offensively. You've had a couple of weeks now with a new look offense, new quarterback, new wide receivers, new coordinators. It's time to start putting the pieces together. And the defense needs to continue to play as good as it has and clean up just a couple things that they haven't been as good at. And if they do that, I think they can have a dominant victory tomorrow. And, again, I've said this. I'm not going to define dominant I don't know if that means 57 to nothing like it was last week or if it means 22 to 11 like it was two weeks ago for Delaware State's loss, um, but they just feel in control of the game. Uh, it's going to be a little subjective, but I really truly believe if Richmond does have this dominant performance and victory tomorrow, um, in a month's time, we're going to re-rack the tape to today because I'm going to tell you in a month, this team's going to be 4-2 and overall and 3-0. and in the CAA, but again, it all hinges on tomorrow. I will take back my words on Monday if if they lose, which I just don't see happening, or if they win, you know, seventeen to sixteen, that winning ugly kind of thing that we talked about. They got Delaware State at home tomorrow, then they go to Stony Brook to open CAA play. Stony Brook is down right now, but it hasn't seemed to matter when Richmond went to Stony Brook, what kind of team they had. Uh, That's always been a tough place for Richmond to play. So they have to kind of exorcise that demon as well and show they can be a quality CAA team and win on the road. And that's the first CAA game of the year uh, will be ultra important to the Spiders. If they get that one, then you come back home against Hampton, uh, which was picked deep in the CAA standings, and Maine that was picked middle to lower of the CAA standings, both at home. And that gets you into October. And that would get you to a crossroads game at Rhode Island the second week in October. And that will be a very important game against a very good team in URI, which I I think is playing tonight. I think they're the ones that um, had to switch their game because of the hurricane uh, threat up there. Uh, So I do think they were the team that is actually playing tonight uh, against Maine. Pretty sure that's right. They're going to play that like six thirty up there in Orino. Yeah, that's it. Rhode Island and Maine instead of playing tomorrow, because uh, I guess the weather's supposed to get a lot worse up there um, tomorrow. So there you go. I'm going to stick to that dominant win for the Spiders tomorrow, and I truly believe this team has the capability and the talent and the coaching to reel off four straight wins, get to four and two overall and three and zero oh in the CAA. So they'd be right on course in the conference and probably a game behind where most of us thought they could be at the end of almost the first half of, of the, the schedule, right? I mean, I think we, we didn't see the Morgan State loss coming. Probably Michigan State was going to be tough no matter what. Uh, and then Delaware State at Stony Brook in Hampton. I think you really felt like this team, if it is as good as we all think it is, and the pundits think so as well because they were preseason three in the CAA, that they would be – Five and one at that point. Uh, Am I doing the math? One, two, three. Yeah, five and one instead of four and two. So they'd be a game off on their overall record, but would be right where they need to be in their conference slate. Going into that game at Rhode Island, which is the first of back-to-back road games. Only time that happens this year at Rhode Island and at North Carolina A&T, one of the newcomers. So I'm really getting way ahead of ourselves. Uh, But uh, just keep that in the back of your mind. And Robert will keep the tape and A.J. will keep the tape. Dominant win for Richmond tomorrow, and they'll be 4-2, 3-0 and in the CAA when they head on the road to Rhode Island in the middle of October. There, I said it, and I'll stand by it. 5.45 on the Sports Auto. We'll take a break. One more segment to go before we finish up for today and for the week after this timeout on 1061, ESPN
0: a second straight playoff appearance out of the caa
1: follow them on their quest every step of the way
0: here on your home for the richmond spiders 1061 espn
1: hey one more thing on the richmond game tomorrow if you're going to robin stadium and we gave away some tickets to get you out there this week and there are tickets available so if you think about it tomorrow and you want to go to the game at 3.30 walk up is certainly available it's supposed to be a beautiful day uh, here in the capital city and a beautiful day for football or if you're listening here on one oh six one ESPN Robert Fish and Matt Smith will have the call on radio I'm on TV with Chris Anderson and Sean Robertson will be on the sideline for us um, we are on flow sports tomorrow I shouldn't even say TV uh, this is the one home game this year that we are not televising and i'll give you a little inside broadcast there and i've probably mentioned this before so the caa's deal with flow sports which is their live streaming provider allows teams to regionally or locally over the air linear televise five home games now in a lot of years that would be no issue because all we play is five home games so that would be fine but this is not one of those years we have six home games so we had to choose One game to only exclusively put on Flow Sports, behind the paywall, subscription. So we chose this one. We figured the opener we wanted on didn't turn out the way we wanted it to. But we had the opener on against Morgan State, and we wanted all the conference games on. So Delaware State tomorrow is just on Flow Sports. Anyway, if you're watching, listening, or at the game, Tristan Wheeler, the Spiders' uh, tremendous All-American linebacker who has been a rock of Gibraltar, has made... 39 consecutive starts, um, three straight 100-tackle seasons. He needs four tackles to hit 400 in his Richmond career. So four tackles for Wheeler tomorrow gets him to 400. Uh, He's had double-figure tackles in each of the first two games. Next on the spider list is Adam Goloboski, a former linebacker, who was fifth all-time in tackles with 406 so he could get to that tomorrow with ten more tackles and uh, move that high up on the list. Um, he is currently seventh. Lamont Neal is sixth at four hundred one. So if Wheeler gets the four hundred, you would figure he's going to get to get to four hundred one. So that's a milestone for him. And the one the one bullet point on Tristan Wheeler that I don't think has, has gotten enough play this week and last week even that um, uh, Christian Gravis, our our football PR guy, has had you know, front and center in his notes each week. Right now, Tristan Wheeler is the active leading tackler in all of NCAA football. Every division, Division III, Division II, FBS, FCS, no one has more career tackles than Tristan Wheeler actively in college football right now at 396. I think that's pretty cool, pretty big deal. Um, So we'll look for that tomorrow, and you know we'll be all over that on the radio and the TV. Um, hey, I, I've got another follow-up on Deion Sanders. See, this is another reason that, that Primetime uh, is great, that I, I love him, because it it elicits all sorts of responses. And when it comes in on the private text line, I don't know why I do this, but I, I just kind of keep the names kind of private and don't really really mention it. So, again, there's no reason to. But a really good friend of mine who used to work in this market in television and was here during the primetime era is listening long distance today. God love you for that, by the way, either on ESPRichmond.com or on our app. Uh, But we appreciate it, and we hope others will do the same no matter where you happen to be. And he said you're spot on with the Dion incident. He remembers Dion, and this is true, having to come back to Richmond after the incident for a court appearance. And he came with his manager. Do you remember who the manager was of the Columbus Clippers when Deion Sanders played for the Yankees' AAA team? This is not a no-name minor league manager, I can tell you that. He's one of the most famous Yankees, actually, of all time. One of the guys, the Red Sox, hates more than anybody that wore the pinstripe of the Yankees. Bucky Dent was the Columbus Clippers' manager when Deion Sanders played in the yankees organization and played at triple a and he did have to come back for that court appearance i don't remember how it turned out um again it's probably something he doesn't even remember at this point in his life and his career and and i didn't remember this so thanks for the text that bucky dent was the manager of the columbus clippers back then wow Pretty amazing stuff. Thank you for the content. Again, prime time. And wear those sunglasses and that hat proudly when Colorado uh, takes Colorado State up one wall and down the other. uh, Tomorrow and enjoy it on college game day tomorrow morning as well. Uh, Braves baseball we got for you tonight. They're in uh, Miami against the Marlins. Obviously, meaningless games right now for the Braves. Still meaningful for the Marlins as they fight and claw for a, a wild card spot in the National League. Bryce Elder pitching tonight for Atlanta, and we'll see how Brian Snicker attacks this with who he gives rest to, what days they rest, how they gear up for the postseason, and getting his pitching rotation in order as well. So, Braves baseball for you tonight. Of course, we have college football tomorrow with the Spiders and the Braves after that, and then we got NFL football on Sunday, including the Cowboys game, so we've got you covered uh, all weekend long, whether it's uh, college football or NFL football as well. And then we'll get Get back together on Monday and recap the entire weekend of sports activity. Uh, All right. That does it for us. That gets us to the weekend officially. Robert Oley, great job all day, morning, noon, and night uh, working for us today. Appreciate you uh, producing this afternoon. I know you'll be producing the Spider Game tomorrow as well, so we appreciate that one. also. And we thank our guest this afternoon, Jonathan McNamara, American Red Cross, talking some JMU football, being the Dukes fan that he is, and Al Galdi, who talked Commanders with us, previewing their game with Denver coming up sunday afternoon bob black saying so long for the sports huddle for this week hope you enjoyed it have a great sporting weekend we'll get together again on monday Uh, we'll do the mashup monday uh, with with matt josephs who has border to border at three we'll be together at four and then i'll take you home at five enjoy the weekend thanks for tuning in to the sports up 1061 ESPN football is back and draft